Welcome to the Switchboard Podcast. Switchboard is a one-stop resource hub for refugee service providers in the United States. With the support of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, we offer resources, learning opportunities, research, and technical assistance on resettlement-related topics. My name is Margaret Gibbon, and I'm Switchboard's Program Officer for Learning and Knowledge Management. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Chapeau, who is an employment specialist for the IRC in Silver Spring. Kelsey has been at the IRC for three years, during which time she is focused on serving women with barriers to employment and integration. She is also the IRC in Silver Spring's gender equality champion, focused on advancing gender equality efforts throughout the office. In addition to all that, Kelsey is a recent graduate of Switchboard's online certificate course, Introduction to Gender Equality in Service Programs, and she's here today to talk about her experience developing a gender analysis plan as a participant in that course. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. To start off, can you tell me a little bit about the program for which you've developed a gender analysis plan? Yeah, absolutely. So um, me and my supervisor, Nisha Washington, we worked together to make a gender analysis plan for what's called the Refugee TANF Employment Program. This is a program that works with individuals, uh, refugees, asylees, and SIVs who are on what is called TANF cash assistance. So basically, our program is working directly with DSS in Prince George's County to make sure they're completing what's called work activity every week. Every week, anyone on TANF cash assistance has to turn in timesheets that shows that anywhere from 35 to 55 hours per week, depending on their case, they're either um, participating in job search, they're volunteering somewhere, they're attending classes, that could be English classes or uh, vocational classes. Um, we run a class uh, out of our, our office here that's basically a combination of uh, learning kind of key English phrases and words and a job readiness class. So talking about what are your rights as an employee in the United States? Um, how do you build a career from the ground up? What is financial literacy? Topics like this that we cover with them. Right. So why did you want to develop the gender analysis for that program in particular? So Nisha and I have both came from a program we had worked on previously at the Silver Spring office, which was focused on serving women with extra barriers to employment. So I think we had kind of come in with that lens and with that just as a priority personally for us. Um, and also we kind of had this really great opportunity because this program, it's a pilot program and we're hoping to get it taken on um, as a, a longer program. <laughs> and it was kind of this perfect opportunity to, at the very beginning, try to work in these concepts and really assess the programming that we'd started doing and making sure that we were serving both the males on the case and the females on the case, because it it's definitely tricky. I think it's, it's easier when it's a program that focuses on working with women. You're sort of there. You're focusing on women. You're having to assess how you're serving women. But when you're working with the full case, it, it can fall by the wayside, I think, far too often. And so it was a really good opportunity that we just kind of jumped at. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about that. What, what was involved with developing the plan? Right. So the the class walked us through all the steps. So there was determining the scope of the gender analysis, and we decided to focus on our program. And then within that program to take a closer look at our two largest populations, which were the Afghan and Syrian populations. After that, we completed a desk review. So we basically looked at the data we already had on our program and some background data on the populations that we were serving and just took a much closer look at 
who we had participating in our programming and who we had participating in our programming successfully, uh, which, you know, was honestly another matter when it came to it and really see what the numbers said. It definitely told it its own story and illuminated a lot for us. Um, the next steps, so these are the steps we haven't gone about yet, but we're planning them, is that we're going to uh, conduct some focus group discussions, at least four, but possibly five, like a Syrian men group, a Syrian woman group, an Afghan men group, an Afghan women group, possibly separate groups for single mothers. We're talking about that to basically get that data on kind of the lived experience of our clients and what they have gotten from the program and, you know, how they feel about the programming and, and the different elements that we're looking at. And then we'll analyze that to make sure that our action plan moving forward is is really going to be helpful to our clients. So we're kind of halfway through. We haven't quite gotten everywhere, but those are the steps we hope to, to complete. That sounds great. It's really great to hear because, you know, as you, as you alluded to, with the switchboard course that you participated in, we tried to take participants only to a certain point uh, with the idea that depending on capacity, you might be able to take those additional steps and really implement the gender analysis, not just develop the plan. So it'd be great to hear more about that. Um, maybe before we get there, can you talk about any challenges that you encountered with that scoping process, with the desk review, um, maybe just with finding time? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tricky. You never have enough hours in the day, I think. But I think it, it, so long as there's that intentionality, it, it really helped when we set, set aside the time and we're like, okay, we're going to work together on this at this time. We were really lucky because we had been disaggregating our data by gender already. So that was kind of done. It was easy to to look at. Just upon like kind of looking more holistically at the numbers, we were finding that it would probably be helpful to also disaggregate by principal applicant. So like if the principal applicant was the male on a case or if the principal applicant was a female, because in the case of our program, most of the time when the principal applicant was a female, it was a single mother household but we were finding that the data for single mother households in terms of participation in programming was a lot different than when the female client was not the principal applicant. So we ended up kind of going back and trying to figure out that data on how those numbers differed. And it was really helpful, we found. I guess in terms of difficulties, it's interesting just, I suppose, in our program that we're working with another government entity that has set regulations for programming outside of us that we're adhering to. And we'd found that there were perhaps like gender blind elements in those rules that we just sort of adhered to by merit of that being the structure of the program that was given to us that were possibly detrimental to clients upon looking at the desk review. So we've ended up looking a bit closer at, at some of those elements. We, we had reworked some of them already to try to address that, but we're definitely looking a bit harder at those and making sure we're really questioning the structure that we had put in place already. Is there a specific example of that that you could share? Yeah. So in the TANF program at large, there's sort of this allowance that is perhaps gender blind. It was definitely gender blind. <laughs> um, that basically, if the principal applicant is a male and it's a two-parent household, and the parents have children who are not yet in school, there is kind of an allowance essentially for one of the participants that typically always turned out to be the female client 
um, was able to basically withdraw from the program. So she didn't have to participate at all with the understanding that she would be taking care of a family, the children, and providing childcare in the home for the family. It, it's obviously something that was put in place in order to try to help families, but as a consequence meant that a lot of the cases we were getting, we were only working with the male participants and the female participants lost access to a lot of the resources we were able to provide for the men, like career building resources and financial resources, even in terms of like transportation funding and things like that, because they were technically exempt from the program. Even if they were participating in work activity, uh, like English classes sometimes that could have counted as work activity. They were still just not given access to those resources at all because they weren't technically part of the case because they had been exempted. And so that was something we had reworked a little bit in the initial program structure where basically we did have an initial meeting with all the female participants and tried to talk to them about any work activity they could get involved in and childcare vouchers and how we could provide daycare for them. But just with that structure already in place and that exemption kind of already in place, we weren't really able to reinforce female participation in those instances. Um, and they were sort of relegated back into the household. Right. And you spoke a little bit about the focus groups that you are hoping to embark on as a next step for your gender analysis, which strike me as an opportunity for you to engage with women directly and you know have a dedicated space to bring their voices in, uh, which may not have existed before. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're hoping to achieve through those focus groups? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're hoping definitely to basically get more information on why women are participating. I mean, obviously, you always think you have some ideas about why they're not participating, or essentially, we have like cohort classes that we have some women participating in, but the graduation rates for women are significantly lower than the graduation rates for men participating in the classes. So we're definitely trying to focus um, so that we have a better idea of the barriers they're facing or any sort of roles and responsibilities or access and control issues that might feed into that that we can help mitigate as a program. So we're definitely, we're hoping to get a better idea of what is driving participation, like what is bringing the women who are participating back <laughs> to keep participating, and then what is keeping other women from participating or from participating as consistently. You've talked a little bit about the challenges of the gender analysis um, and some of the challenges that prompted it within the program structure, these bigger next steps that require more resources like engaging in focus groups to learn more. Uh, is there something that you could recommend to program staff as a small first step, something that has emerged over the course of this learning opportunity that was maybe an easier thing than you expected or something that would be not very resource intensive to advance gender equality just in the interest of getting started? Yeah, I mean, there's like the initial discussion of the spectrum, right? Whether you're gender blind or gender sensitive or gender transformative, basically just taking like your program and looking at it and being like, okay, what are the key activities that you're doing with clients within the program. So like, is there an orientation meeting? Is there resume building meeting? Like, are there cohorts that you're running? And then taking each of those and being like, okay, transportation and access. Are there like transportation options for people who might have transportation barriers? Basically just breaking down your program and looking at the elements and saying, okay, is this gender blind or is this gender transformative or is this gender sensitive? Just being able to kind of have that beginning understanding, because I, th I think you have like an idea in your head, like, oh, our program is gender sensitive or something. And that might, 
even be the case overall. On the whole, maybe it is gender sensitive. But even within that, we found, for example, all of these elements we hadn't maybe looked at as closely as we should have that were gender blind that might be barring women from participating in our programming. And just by breaking it down into activities and then breaking it down into potential barriers to those activities, it was really helpful to see areas where we might need to be focusing a little bit more energy or work. So we found that very helpful. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. And it's true that there might be a time investment involved with that. But even beginning with one program component, looking with that kind of reflective mindset at uh, one activity, um, kind of get the ball rolling uh, in that direction without requiring a lot of resources besides the time that it takes to do that. Good example. So let me just close with one more question. Um, In terms of the course that you participated in, would you recommend Switchboard's online course to those looking to learn more about gender analysis? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We found it so helpful. I mean, insofar as I think things can be like a priority in your mind, you know, you have all your daily responsibilities and then all the responsibilities on top of that that come up. And it can sometimes be hard to prioritize even things that feel like a priority to you it was really helpful to have this sort of structure. And it was like, okay, every week you need to be looking at this new element and doing this thing to really assess your programming. And it was great to have that timeline and to have the feedback um, from like experts in the field and people who have done this before. The course was also just really helpful in that it provided case studies that we looked at and like templates for how to, how to conduct a gender analysis. And the webinars, they gave you so many opportunities for feedback and then have a sounding board for some of the ideas or the issues that you're facing as you as you go through it and you try to plan. And a really great opportunity for other people, even within the course, to kind of give advice like this is something that isn't formalized, but I just find in my experience that it's really helpful to do this. That was just really helpful, like that human touch. Like this is the structure of how to do it and they make it very clear, which is great. And then also that human element of, and this is how you do it well. And these are the issues that can come up that you'll need to address as it goes. That's really great to hear. And it's something that we're hoping to offer again. So those listening who may be interested in engaging with gender analysis and gender equality in a longer term learning opportunity, stay tuned for our (laughs) FY20 plans. And we will, of course, be incorporating all the feedback that we received and uh, making improvements and updates to that online course based on the experience of Kelsey and, and others. With that, we are at the end of our podcast, and I want to say a huge thank you to Kelsey for joining us today and let everyone who is listening know that you can visit Switchboard online at www.switchboardta.org, where you'll find an extensive resource library, a form to request technical assistance if you're interested in connecting with us on this topic or other topics related to your work, um, ways to stay in touch with us, and much more. If you have not done so already, I would encourage everyone to sign up for our listserv so you can receive our newsletter. Kelsey, thank you so much again. It was such a pleasure talking to you. No, it was amazing. Thank you so much for having me.